This is Mike Hawkins, Michael Hawkins in the Brotherhood, and this room sounds great. And before I know it, man, I was just itching all over my body, and I was like, ah! A song called Put the Bone In. <laughs> but I used to wear my mom's Afro wig, man. <laughs> Jazz, a jazz record is not meant to make money. Once we get through this pandemic, jazz is gonna experience a renaissance, so to speak. That all I really have to do is touch one person emotionally. I mean, it could be just for him sitting on the toilet. Well, hello there, podcast listening land. This is Reese Williams and you have tuned into This Room Sounds Great. Coming to you right now from Studio C at In Your Ear Studios, we've got Michael Hawkins. Hello. Good evening. How nice to have you across from me. It is nice to be here. (laughs) Like I said, nice to be seen rather than viewed. (laughs) I guess it's sort of a difference between being known and notorious, I guess. That's right. (laughs) Slight little difference. If you would uh, do the honors of telling us who you are, who you're with, and what you do, first off. Okay. My name is Michael Hawkins. I'm a a jazz bassist. And uh, I don't know, the older I I get, the more important to me that word jazz becomes, you know. I mean, I play electric bass. I play all different types of music. But uh, I guess jazz is the music that I prefer to express myself through, you know. And uh, sometimes the lines get blurred, you know, but uh, I like to say jazz basses. There you go. The (laughs) J-A-Z-Z. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And what in the world have you been working on uh, since the pandemic? What are you promoting right right now? Why why are you going to be on our show? Well, you know... um, for years, for years, I've worked as pretty much a side man. Very rarely, you know, taking the initiative to step out on my own. And um, this pandemic, you know, this was an idea I had maybe 20 years ago. But so this it, was an age. This is the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, 20 years ago, it's a 20-year-old idea. And, and I talked about it and I talked about it and thought about it and thought about it. And... Um, and little by little, I would reach out and do some things, but never really had the confidence to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, now, um, like I said, the older I get, the more I, it's more important to do these things now. You well, know? you don't want to look back and and wonder, wow, I just, because of logistics or time or energy or some trivial little thing, yeah. you didn't go for it. Yeah. And what is the name of this enterprise? What are you calling yourselves? Uh, I call it, well... Pretty much the enterprise is Michael Hawkins. The the band that represents pretty much this enterprise, because Michael Hawkins, there's a lot of other things, you know. I'm I'm into mixing music. I'm into, you know, um, recording, you know. I'm into, you know, music, playing the band. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so under the umbrella, it's Michael Hawkins' music. The band, The Brotherhood, Michael Hawkins and The Brotherhood, is just part of that umbrella of Michael Hawkins' music. You've got your hand in a lot of pies. Well, I mean, (laughs) I got to make a pie first. (laughs) (laughs) You know. I've got got a great video of you guys up here. Um, And this is great. It starts out with you. So let's, uh, let's get that going so people can get a little taste of who they're listening to.
see so many other friends of the studio there as oh, well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, are you a part of the big collective called The Fam as well? Well, yeah, I am. Uh, are you? Okay. And um, it's, it's, it's an honor to be a part of that because 20, 25 years ago when I was a freshman in college, I used to go see them in different, you know, venues around here in Richmond. And man, it was a dream of mine to just be associated with them, you know, to play with them. And these, uh, you know, James Gates, Dr. Weldon Hill, um, Desiree, Carl Lester's one, you know, Mm -hmm. they actually took me in, man, and like, you know, supported me, you know, and, uh, you know, they just taught me a lot about playing music, you know. And whether it was verbal or nonverbal, they were always willing to, you know, open the doors, open their hearts and open their minds to me, you know. And um, that's probably, you know, learning from them through, through that formative stage in my, you know, playing music was probably like one of the greatest experiences, man, because, you know, they, they gave me a lot of insight on a lot of different things, especially James Gates, you know, and... um and they're wildly decent people. Yeah. We've yeah. had a chance to talk to them in in so many different capacities. Whoever's a spotlight, you know, Weldon's had his own Chocolate That's Sessions right. Live. That's right. Desiree's had her own. James has had his own. That's right. Um, and you're getting your own. That's so right. it's exciting. We've been able to talk to them. And everyone, you know, they put the family first. They put yeah. who they're working with first. Yes, you know, And do. I'm sure, you know, everybody... You know, once the spotlight at some point, everybody wants to grow, everybody yeah. wants different things. But universally, what I hear when I talk to every different walk of, you know, someone from from this family, it, they just have incredible things to say. Will you be performing when Corey is with us? Um, No, I won't. Okay. Uh, no, That'll I be won't. the rest of the fam. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the, um, the other side. The but, in-laws. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, the interesting thing about it is we all take a different character or a different, the music takes a totally different character when each of us are like frontlining. Go you on. Know? Yeah. How? Um, when, you know, cause we all have different ideas and diff- hear different things and believe in certain things, you know, even though my belief in what, what I do in my music really comes from them, I've been able to develop my own sound. I, I hope that's my goal to develop my own sound and style. So I spent three years in New York, you know, and, um, what oh ta- yeah. What time frame was that? Uh, I, 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 um, got there maybe September, August of 98. And I left, um, like the fall of, uh, winter 2001, something wow. like that. And, uh, that's you know, an education. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. But I was, you know, the thing was, I was able to take what, Weldon and, and Gates and and uh, Desiree taught me, and sort of learned to apply it in a different way there, and I think that's kind of what made what makes what I do sort of unique, you know. And it's not just uh, the material that I play, even though I like to try to do something that's more indicative and you know descriptive of who I am as a person, but. No matter who it is, it's always sort of a different sort of character that the band takes, you know. Mm-hmm. That only you can bring. And what's cool is even though you all have your own endeavors, everyone is supportive of everyone wanting to everyone, do their own thing. Everyone, Nobody says, nope, it's yeah. got to be everybody. How dare you want the spotlight? No, everyone says, yes. oh, that is so cool. What can we do to yes. support you? And so you can still do things collectively. You can still do things yes. individually. Yes, yes. 
That's yeah. just incredible yes, to yes. be able to say. So it's a, it's a whole school, a, a whole sort of like school, you know. And when we think of school of music, you know, for jazz musicians, we think of groups like Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers and stuff like that. You know, where it's a whole school of learning. Betty Carter, mm -hmm. you know, Betty Carter has a whole school of bringing musicians and teaching them. Mm -hmm. and, and eventually they go on, go on and do their own sort of things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, and, and so what are you working on right now? Like, what will you be playing when you're on Chaco Sessions Live? What are you developing right well, now? Well, I'm actually doing a lot of writing now. So uh, I'm going to be focusing on a lot of my own music. Um, maybe do one or two things from... Uh, I have a really good friend who lives up in New York, a tennis saxophone player, excellent composer. And uh, we did an arrangement of some stuff from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, the music is so good from I, that. I know show, every it came, note. It came on just the other night, man. And uh, it's an incredible, incredible movie. It you is know? so good. And I, there's so uh, many underlying things that gets <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's an, it's an incredible It's Roald Dahl, so it's dark. I yes, mean, if you, exactly. Especially if you read it. Yeah. The movie the movie has a few little moments, but when you read it, it is eerie. Wow. It is, it is wow. really dark. Wow, yeah. Um, but yes, the music in that is one of it my all-time favorites. And yeah. that's a movie that I'll put in just like an album. So it's well, you, you know, can do everything um, around the house, and it's just kind of on, but yeah. you know it so well. It's so familiar. And one of my favorites, Primus, you know, they did a, a album. Of Willy Wonka Tropical Oh, Fractals. I didn't know that. Yes, okay. they did. Man. Oh, I have to yes, look that they up. Did. Yeah. They're incredible. Oh, man, amazing. Man. <laughs> so, who will you have with you? Um, James Gates, mm -hmm. of course, the saxophone, the saxophonist, mm -hmm. you know, the human himself. lung. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Weldon Hill and um, myself, of course, mm -hmm. and uh, DJ Harrison, Devon Harris, going to be playing drums. Okay. And when you're writing, are you, um, I ask this a lot of people, are you a disciplined writer? Are you a, oh my gosh, I just heard a noise outside and that's made me think of a rhythm. Are you, do you have to be off site to, to write something? Well, What's um, your style? Be believe it or um, I do a lot of my ideas come a lot when I'm driving, you know, because mm -hmm. um, I don't listen to the radio much, you know, and. And uh, sometimes just to stay awake, I start humming, you know. The one tune that I'm going to do, I drove, uh, was driving back from um, Outer Banks. And uh, and I don't know, I, maybe I'll tell you the story so I won't have to do it now. But uh, it's called Blues for the Weary Traveler. And I actually first recorded it on a former, he used to live here in Richmond, a guitarist. Josh Walker, okay. who lived here in Richmond some time back. I think he went to VCU, graduated. But he's up in D.C. now. So it, it was first recorded in his 2007 recording, Inertia. And then the second time I recorded was with Dr. Hill's record. And we did it in the trio format. We recorded that here in your ear. So it sounds different than on Josh's album. Yeah, it has, okay. a, it has a sort of little different vibe, so... It was like 1997 when the comet, you know, remember the comet yeah. and everybody was thinking that the comet was a spaceship behind it or something like that. <laughs> so Some I, people, maybe yeah, not everybody. Yeah, some people. <laughs> but I had did a gig in um, Duck, North Carolina. Oh, that's so tiny. My friends, yeah. I've been there a lot. My yeah. friends have a, a house there. I mean, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I was doing my student teaching at the time. And it was like two o'clock in the morning and I was so tired. It was even later because I had to wait to get paid and things like that. And I was so tired and I was living in uh, Chester, you know, mm -hmm. which is like three hour drive. And I was like, there's no way 
on God's green earth that I'm going to make it home because I was so tired. And I just sat there and I, I said a prayer. I said, Lord, I just need, can I get home? Please let me get home. Let me pull in the driveway. Yeah. So no sooner as I started driving, you know, I started falling asleep. I pulled over to a 7-Eleven, got something to drink and to eat. Munched that down in like three seconds. And in 10 minutes, I was sleepy, you know, pulling off the road. We call that food coma. Yeah. <laughs> no sooner as I got really, really sleepy and tired, I was just getting on 64. And I was like, man, I still got two hours. And before, I, you know, and I was just driving, listening to the radio. I started itching here and itching there. And before I know it, man, I was just itching all over my body. And I was like, ah! You know, I mean, I'm serious. I was just itching so bad. But I got home. <laughs> Did you pick up fleas from the 7-Eleven oh, in the man, Outer Banks? I don't know what it was, man. The itching kept you awake. It kept me awake. And I got home. By the time I got home, I had scratched my skin raw. You know, it had to have been an allergy to something you <laughs> ate or drank. It was some, probably, some, yeah, yeah some it bad probably. Seven Eleven yeah. Slurpee, somewhere. which which never happened to me before. You know, <laughs> but it so kept you awake. That's the story behind that that tune, you know, blues for the weary traveler. You know, and sixty four is just a really hard to drive. Talk late about at night. highway hypnosis. I yeah. remember that phrase from dry, you know, learning fifteen, sixteen years old. Beware of highway hypnosis. Yeah, and now yeah. that's that stretch definitely. Definitely. Nothing stimulating to look Nothing at. Nothing at all. <laughs> so normally I like to ask people what their favorite thing about the Richmond music scene is, um, but it sounds like the fam probably is that for you. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot more. But yeah, what's, what's special about here in Richmond is there's a lot of this a lot of different types of music, and there's an audience for everything you like. Nail you on know? the head. There's enough to go around. There's enough to go around. There's enough to go around. Um, unfortunately, there's not enough venues. Right. But, you know, if you like hip hop, there's a place to go. I mean, before the uh, pandemic, um, there was a place, um, it was sort of jazz, hip hop, open mic thing over at the Hofheimer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was called uh, um, Roots. Mm -hmm. You know, man, all types of stuff, man. You know, mm -hmm. if you like gospel, if you like traditional gospel, contemporary gospel, there's a whole scene. Their for. calendar was insane. When I first moved to Richmond four years ago, yeah. I signed up for their newsletter. You'd go into the venue. Every single night had something either on the roof, in the dark room, oh, yeah. somewhere in that building. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's an audience for everything. Everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. So that's what's special about Richmond. What has been one of your favorite performances so far in your, um, in your career? Um, I did a – I went to Queens College. Mm -hmm. for grad studies. We had this big celebration because the school had bought Louis Armstrong's house, turned it to a museum, <gasps> and they just happened to be cleaning up, look up under the bed, and they found all this music. that no. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we uh, I was in the band at the school, and we played it, and they had this big celebration, and all the people that I read about and heard stories about were there, you know, Milt Hinton, Max Roach. Man, I was just, I was just so blown away, you know. So there's a part in the music that we're playing that I had to do a slap thing, you know, and and uh, I was doing a lot of practicing on slap bass at the time, so I pretty much did a decent job with it. And Milt Hinton asked our uh, director, Michael Philip Mossman, it's like, who's that guy on bass, mm -hmm. you know? 
But I got I, I got so scared, man. I hid behind the <laughs> I hid behind the curtains, you know, and I, I just couldn't go out to meet him. And he kept asking, so go ahead out and meet. I was like, man, no. You know, but that's one of the uh, very memorable, man. Every, man, it was, it's amazing. Percy, I wonder who he, lived in that house that didn't realize, that didn't do any investigating to find that stuff Well, there. I think what happened once um, Louis Armstrong passed, nobody ever really moved in. I'll be darned. Yeah. So the school, you know, for whatever reason, they took it and fixed it up and now it's a museum now. What was the first piece of music you ever owned? Like, the, like when you were younger and you bought music. Oh, oh man. Do you um, remember? Yeah. Um, a song called Put the Bone In. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first 45. And I think it was, um, he, Welcome Back, got, the guy who sang Welcome Back, Carter. Oh, I can't what remember was his it? name. Sebastian something. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, okay. But it was, it was the flip side of Welcome Back. But you didn't buy it for Welcome Back, Cotter. No, no. My dad just bought it for me, you know. That but that was, was... Well, let me re rephrase that. We had a lot of Jackson. Okay. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> let me rephrase. I'm sorry. My dad owned a record shop. So back when I was like third grade, his and his shop was right directly across from my school. So after school, I'd go over there and I would just play records. What was it called? There. One Stop Audio Video. Nice. So my dad worked for GTE Sylvania selling TVs and stuff like that. So he left and opened up his own record store. Okay. And I would just stay there all day, man. Larry Graham. Get, me in, get in a candy shop. Oh, man. Just listen to music all day. Average White Band, uh, Steely Dan, you know, all this stuff, man. And it becomes a community center because as people are in there shopping, they wind up talking to other people about yeah. music they're about to buy. Yeah. And of course, you're, when you're chatting with other music yeah. lovers and, so and musicians. I remember when songs, Stevie Wonder's Songs of the Key of Life came out, mm -hmm. and my dad had people lined up to come and buy that record, you know. Where was this? This is Alexandria, Virginia. Okay. I'm from Alexandria okay. originally. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. That is so, so cool. I guess that's where I, I've always had a love for music, because I've always wanted to be Jermaine Jackson, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I've always loved the bass and... You, know, you but, didn't have enough sparkly jackets, though, did you? No, no. Yeah. But I used to wear my mom's Afro wig, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And my dad used to get worried, you know, it's like, man, you need to stop. <laughs> That's not cool. <laughs> they keep you warm. Yeah, so. Those you wigs know. keep you really yeah. warm. And so what do you play besides bass? Like, when you were younger, did you did you know that's what you wanted to play, or did you start well, some, yeah, on something I knew, else? I knew that's what I wanted to play, but I grew up in Alexandria, uh, Virginia, a suburb of D.C., mm -hmm. and if you know anything about D.C., D.C. is a live music town. You know, it always has mm -hmm. been. It always will be. So right about t around the time I was in middle school, go-go music started to become mm -hmm. popular. That was probably my first live performance I saw, and it changed my life, you know. And it was a group called Ovation. You know, the guy, his name, uh, my first main influence, man, Elwood Jones. Elwood, if you're listening... You know, he's he was an amazing bass player, man, and he sort of introduced Alexandria to go-go music. And that's what DC's kind of known for. That's what yeah, it's known absolutely. for now. absolutely. Not kind of, you know? it is, yeah. And it's funny because now DC fight, you know, fighting to keep the music, that music alive. But um, before, DC really didn't want to have anything to do with that style of music. It was so new, you know, and what it did, because... None of the radio stations wanted to play it. A lot of people didn't want to present it in their venues. 
So what Go-Go Bands ended up doing was creating their own music because Go-Go came from like top 40 music. Right. You know, if you know anything about the story, Chuck Brown just started taking top 40 songs instead of ending each song. He just started keeping the beat going because people in the end would, after they finish the song, they'll walk off the dance floor. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, we want to keep them on the dance floor. So drummer, you keep playing. So when the drummer kept playing, then the, somebody would add the congos or whatever it was. So that sort of created go-go. I love this. Yeah. and uh, What do you think that everyone's resistance or apprehension to the music was? What? Why? Because first of all, it was new, you know. And I recall people saying, you know, we like real music. Just what they're used to. That's what they're used yeah. to, right. So, But it, it caused every go-go band, every go-go band had their own style, own style, own music, and own everything. And it became very, very competitive for the best shows, for the best music. And what time frame are we talking? When was it its real peak there? Late 70s, early 80s. Okay. That's sort of like the golden years, I would say, mm -hmm. of go-go. Experience Unlimited EU. They're credited with having, outside of Chuck Brown, first number one go-go record, The Butt, you know. Oh, that's who they are. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, The Butt, what, that EU is very different from the early EU. Okay. Because EU mixed a lot of rock into go-go, you know. Oh. They did things like, um, what's his name? Do-do, do-do. You know, they did things like that. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Um, um, well, the butt, yeah, it doesn't have a whole lot of rock no, to it. No, but EU was a rock band, go-go style, you know. Chuck Brown was the blues. Yeah. He did a lot of the blues. Uh, Rare Essence was more like R&B. Other groups had, like, more contemporary jazz sort of sound. And then Everybody the had their own individual music, their own individual sound. Mm-hmm. Just under a go-go umbrella. And what would you say in your expert musician opinion, <laughs> what is the butt about? It's, what just a, <laughs> it's just a dance, you know. Just a dance. Like the electric slide. Yeah. Well, I guess rule number one for a lot of go-go bands, if you come up with a, a dance, then you got to hit. True, true. <laughs> I know. If you go to a yeah, wedding and yeah. that'll get Grandma Ethel on the floor That's as soon right. as if some sort of line dance comes up. If you come up with a dance, dance then up. yes, you, you got to hit. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you're not playing music? I teach middle school band and orchestra. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, I teach over at um, Douglas L. L. Douglas Wilder yeah. Middle School in Henrico County. Mm -hmm. I taught 10 years, believe it or not, in the um, Department of Juvenile Justice. You know, over mm -hmm. at Hanover, when it was open, they closed that down. And then over at Bon Air. Mm -hmm. I had the time of my life there, you know. It was just time to leave, you know, and move on and do other sure. things. And but after one of the things after being teaching in Bon Air, going to public schools, it's so easy. <laughs> you know, it's so easy. And you know, it's almost like, you know, the classes are a lot shorter and the kids are, you know, they think the kids think they're bad, but they're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. They think they're acting up, but they're not really yes. acting up, you know. And uh, it's, it's I have the time of my life with my kids now, you know. Mm -hmm. I have a wonderful time. Oh, I bet they love you. Well, yeah, I hope so, too. I but we have a lot of fun, though. Yes, I bet you do. Yeah. Let me ask this. 
What was the name of your first band? Is there anything you've written that makes you kind of cringe when you look back oh, or you man. shake your head oh, and you yeah. think, oh, yeah. boy, I can't believe I was so, such like, so hot. Like I said, I was in go-go, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. go-go bands. Wearing um, your mother's wig. Yes. My first band was called Oasis. and um, Very different than, than very, the one we, yeah, we know of very now, I'm different, sure. You know, we became, had some very minor success with a band called Young Funk. Mm-hmm. That was a good time, man. I learned. I wish I had known now, knew then what I've known now. You know what I mean? Mm. But it's all a learning. I learned what I learned, though, through the experience of and the guys that I played with. I learned about, like, being humble, you know, and and, and learning about different personalities and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Because I had a – my attitude was pretty much, you know, we're going to do it like this or – you can go, you know, sort Ooh. of thing. Yeah. Michael was sassy when he was younger. Oh, my gosh, man. <laughs> I was too through, man, you know. Especially and when I think about now, the musicians that we have now, man, these guys could go on to be, like, the best in the world, man. I mean, at what they do. You know, it's it's amazing, especially when I look back, look back on it now. Oh, man, we had some guys that could really seriously play. So much talent. Yeah. Have you achieved what you want to as a, mu- as a musician? No, okay. I haven't. What you know. would you, what, what's going to define success for you? Well, um, I don't know if, you, if I can, you know. I just want to be able to play the music that I want to play and on my own terms, you know. I spent five years playing with uh, a great pianist, one of the greatest people and greatest musicians on this planet. His name is Cyrus Chestnut. And I learned so much from him. Uh, I did two records with him. He taught me a lot about myself. And that's what playing, see, jazz is different than any other music on the planet because really jazz, a jazz record is not meant to make money. You know, it's <laughs> we've, not. We've had musicians say, yeah, thankfully I'm, I'm not in it for the money or yeah, I don't want to be rich. I'm in the right you know, business. <laughs> that's, that's because jazz and like the... Um, the way we think about music now, you know, they don't fit. This was another the pop idea of music. Mm-hmm. They don't fit together. Jazz is a com- music of from a community music. Mm-hmm. It's indigenous music. You know what I mean? And it's a classical music. Mm-hmm. So with classical music, that means there's a learning curve to understand it. You know, so therefore, the pop idea doesn't fit with jazz. That is brilliant. You're right. Pop is universally appealing. That's why it's pop. That's why it's catchy. That's why you can't stop singing it. But the purpose of a pop record is to simply make money. Absolutely. So someone stands out. Someone makes money. Yes. Look at me. Look at me. Shine, shine, shine. And then everybody copies that formula. And they make their own records of that formula. But the purpose of a jazz record is to create a timeline of of an artist's life. So if you think about people like John Coltrane or Miles Davis, and you listen to their first album, or their first recording, and then you listen to their last recording, it's about that chronological order of how they progress as a musician and as a human being. And so often, even I think folk singers, you know, the same could be said, it's more about exactly that, where they are in life. Yes, yes. So one album may be very happy, they're in love, things are going well, they're excited about their new career. Another album could be about tragedy or heartbreak. Yes. Another one, you know, there have been several, even pop artists, Madonna, 
Britney Spears that a lot of time get a lot of criticism for changing their sound or changing right. their look. Oh, oh, now she wants to be sexy when she used to be cute. Oh, yeah. now she wants to be avant-garde see, when she used to be mainstream. But the they're pop. growing. Yeah. They're growing. And if these, you know, these particular artists, if they're going to have decade-long long career, mm-hmm. of course you're going to change. Yes. They are human. Yes. I'm certainly not the same person yes. I was 20 years ago. Yes. Um, and so it sounds like it, the jazz community is just a lot more forgiving <laughs> In saying, hey, it's a journey. It's we're different things at different times. Yes, and, and you know that's pretty much what a jazz record is for, man. So, you know, I, sort of I, a zeitgeist of where you are in that moment. That's right. That's right. And and then you can hear yourself. It's interesting to see how you grow over a period of time. You know, that's one thing I think that this pandemic is showing for jazz musicians in particular, because that's what I deal with. You know. And I think that um, we're starting to understand that, yes, you know, this is music that we don't really fit in that popular mode. You know, in the early days, once you could not dance to jazz anymore, then that's when it started Mm -hmm. moving outside of that pop realm, Mm -hmm. you know. That's just the idea here in the States, you know what I mean? Outside of the States... It's totally different. That is what I hear. You know, where yeah. have you played outside the States? And where where uh, do they love you, Michael? Uh, uh, I've been to, I did a State Department tour in Honduras, Guatemala, mm-hmm. you know, all through in Central America. Um, I've been to China a couple of times, Hong Kong, you know, Canada, Japan a couple of times, you know. But that's when I was working with Cyrus Chestnut. And there is a completely different perspective. Oh, it is. A different appreciation. And and the one thing that is interesting, and it's it's sort of a whole umbrella of things uh, in America, which is a great, the greatest country on this planet. (laughs) But one thing I learned, the old and new can't coexist with each other. So I've been to like Red Square in Russia, and the highway goes around the buildings, class, you know, historical buildings up, they're not going to tear them things down. No. Everything is built around that. What we, We'll tear it down and put you know a plaque what? up. You are so right. I don't mean to point, but you no. are so right. When I, I spent a fair amount of time in Japan yeah. 10, 15 years ago, and I just remember remarking you can have a temple and then a, a sky rise, That's right. a high rise right next to it. Or there's a beautiful garden, but then there's a really funky techno sh- game shop yes, right next yes, to it. Yes. Um, and I lived in Berlin for a summer. Same thing. You you have the dark architecture and the heavy history. Yes. But everyone in Berlin in that particular summer, were they were very young artists. There was a lot of high art. There was just this this scene of wanting to bring a freshness to, yeah, to yeah, the city. Yeah. But, you know, what it's, it's teaching me, and I think jazz music, first of all, I really believe that. Once we get through this pandemic, jazz is going to experience a renaissance, so to speak, more than ever before. Now, we've already had one with Wynton Marcellus in the early 80s and stuff like that. But I think more than ever before, you know, first of all, one thing, one of the biggest thing I realize is music should evoke some sort of emotion. You know what I mean? And there's a certain emotion that I want to try to evoke. But I'm realizing now, and I think because of this pandemic, that all I really have to do is touch one person emotionally. And if I can do that, then they'll follow me for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they'll want to watch you progress and I, you and, grow. Yeah, and so I could be gone, die and gone away from here, but you would still go back and say, this is, you know, 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Listen to your, your yeah. anthology, listen yes. to your records. Yes. What about music setting a mood? Do you think well, it's good enough to set a mood? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But emotion first. Mm-hmm. Because emotion can create the mood. The mood is good, but I think emotion is better. Mm-hmm. You know, and think about it. You know, all the great actors, they became great because they managed to evoke an emotion out of people, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's the most important thing, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that emotion, emotionally connection, man, if you can make that emotional connection with your audience, whether you have five people, 5,000 people, Mm -hmm. if you can make one person connect emotionally, but that's the trick with jazz because so people, it's easier and people are used to emotionally connecting with a voice. With words, yeah. With words. Yeah, yeah. Oh my but, gosh, I'm not alone. They went through the same thing. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but to make that emotional connection, like James, like, you know, James, he connect, you can connect with him emotionally. And this is what I learned, you know, whenever he plays, I mean, it could be just for him sitting on the toilet. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? He is going to play as if everything is on the line. You know what I mean? And that it could reach somebody. And it could reach somebody. Mm-hmm. And I've yet to see him ever take one note off you know what i'm saying or just like i don't feel like playing and i've known gates for it since 1991 i guess 92 and he's always had that fire and always had that passion you know what a great thing to be able to say i'm sure you could say the same of you as well yes well i learned that from him Mm -hmm. the importance of that so um when i play whether i'm playing with you know my band or anybody I have to be able to bring something emotionally fiery and being, you know, at my age now, that's how I feel, you know. Isn't it nice when you can reach an age and you can just boil it down to really what's important? Yeah, it is, And you you don't feel distracted by everything else. You don't feel obligated by everything else. It's amazing. You don't feel, you know, indentured. It's just amazing when you can finally say, hey, I'm the one that has to go to sleep with my thoughts every night. Yeah. And as long as I'm okay with them, I'm good to go. And it's easier to work like that, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's easier to work even at my job, you know? um, I tell my students, you know, I'm not a teacher, you know? I don't know these teacher lingos and all these teacher, you know. I'm just a musician who happens to want to share music with you guys. That's, That's beautiful. all I do. Well, what do you want us to feel when you're performing on Shaka? What what should I be feeling? The first thing I want you to feel is that you've never heard jazz played like that before. Woo! Mm-hmm. I want to see you like, wow. Now, when you're on, when you, since this is your ensemble, are you going to be further up on the stage, or do you still have to be where you in well, the tucked away? Well, you know, for um, the sake of, I like to be closer to like the rhythm instruments, ah. like the drums, pianos. You know, okay. Just so I can feel, yep. see, mm-hmm. you know, and then I let you know. Gotcha. I can't wait. Oh man, I am I'm excited. so excited. Make sure you tell everyone you know about it. I will. I <laughs> and will. where can people find more information about you? If they're going um, online? You can go on my um, Facebook page, Michael Hawkins Music. Also got a Michael Hawkins and the Brotherhood Facebook page. Mm-hmm. On my um, YouTube page, Michael Hawkins Music. Mm-hmm. 
And those are pretty much, you know, that's pretty much my website. <laughs> and coming soon, Instagram. Yes, coming soon, Instagram, <laughs> if I can figure it out. You need one of your students to show you. Yeah, they, they will. will show, they will they set will. up your account in two minutes. Yeah. They will show you how to post. and you. Well, it was my students that suggested that I get on Instagram, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. What a pleasure. It has been really nice Thank speaking you with so you. Thank you so much, Reese. I had a wonderful time, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to, um, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. As are we. Thank yes, you very much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like us, follow us, and subscribe to us on all the usual suspects. And also be sure to tune in every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. to Shaco Sessions Live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. That's a wrap. This episode of This Room Sounds Great was recorded and mixed by Matthew Mixes.